Well, good evening, everybody. So glad to see you. I know we've had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties with our stream, so thanks for your patience on that front. And just before we begin, uh, I got two texts, uh, like at 4.30 on my way here from two families that were going to be here and can't be here for different reasons last minute. And as Kelly and Toby both mentioned, there are several families out that are traveling or sick. Tis the season. Our family is feeling well, but we're on the back end of it. And then I want to also say that we were here just a couple hours ago for a funeral. And then when I was here two hours ago, there were no chairs and 100 people between this room and the middle and a lot of food and more than anything, a lot of love shared by this church for a family that needed um, that support and that help to do this memorial service. So it's afternoons like this when people are going through it in different ways that we can be the church, that we can show up and we can love well and we can give of our time and help in this way. So shout out to the team of people. Some of them are not able to be back here this evening, but we're here this afternoon helping people get from one end of the building to another, to bring food, to set up food, to clear out chairs a few times, and to move the chairs back in, and then to do all of that and turn around for a service. So thank you, church, for being the church. So can I say a quick word of prayer for uh, the crazy afternoon that seems to still be happening for some of our folks before we dive into our first message in this season of Advent? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for all it took to get each one of us here this evening. Thank you for those that are joining online. Thank you for those that showed up this afternoon to help a family in need and in hurting. And so, Lord, we pray right now for those that are unable to be here, that are in need of a healing touch or a sense of your nearness. We offer up those that we know that are struggling and that need hope and help. So we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would be upon them, that you would give your peace to them, that you would be near to them and remind them that they are not alone and that you are not done. And so we just ask your blessing on this time for those of us gathered, that we would hear anew these familiar stories, but that we would hear anew good news that calls us to hope. In the name of Jesus, our King, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So we begin the church's new year, the season of Advent. And before we get into our Advent theme and our text, would you turn to the book of Luke? We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1. So while you're turning there, I'll remind you that Advent is a word that means arrival. So Advent is a season where we await the arrival of Jesus, the world's true king. Advent is an interesting season. It's the church's new year, as I said, because it puts us all the way back before Jesus arrives on the scene. So Advent is the prologue of the Jesus story. It puts us back when we stand together with God's people Israel who have not heard a word of prophecy in many generations. They have not seen the promised Messiah, the chosen one, also known as the Christ. 
They're longing, they're looking, they're waiting, and they're not hearing anything. And so we go back in time and we put ourselves in their shoes. Why? Because we're waiting too. Now you say, well, dude, aren't we here because Jesus did arrive? Yes, but we're still waiting for his second advent, his second arrival. So Advent is a season where we both look back to put ourselves in the shoes of those who waited and waited and waited and waited. And then we look forward as people today who are still waiting for Jesus to come and finish what he started, to renew all things and save those that still need renewal and restoration. So Advent, not just a season where we wait for presents, it's a season where we wait for Jesus. And our texts, just like the church calendar story, begins before Jesus. At the beginning of Luke, which is a story about Jesus, we'll go 30 verses before you even get Jesus' name. Because Luke is a great storyteller. And he wants to put us back in a place of waiting, in context, so that when Jesus does arrive, we can celebrate his advent on Christmas Eve. And so what we'll be doing the next four weeks, Lord willing, is walking through the scene in Luke chapter 1, where we meet an old priest. And then next week, we'll hear about a visit to a young woman named Mary. And then the week after that, we'll see when Mary goes and visits the old priest's wife. Walking step by step in the prologue to the story as we wait for Jesus. This old priest is somebody who's in the inner circle of the inner circle. And he meets an angel who says, hey, just a little bit longer. The wait is nearly over. You've just got to hope for nine more months. And we'll see his response. But tonight, as Toby mentioned, our theme is hope. And if you're taking notes, hope is expecting God's good end despite our present. Hope is expecting God's good end despite our present. So, will this old priest hope a little longer, expecting a good end? Will we hope a little longer, expecting a good end? That's why we keep looking back, so we can learn to look forward in hope. Now, Luke chapter 1, let's pick up the tale in verse 5. I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture, and then we'll go back and tell this old priest story. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of the priestly line, Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But that's a loaded word in their context. In spite of all of that, Luke wants us to know they were childless. 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. So imagine kind of like the you would draw straws or you would kind of roll a dice. This is something that was okay in the Old Testament times or the pre-Jesus times where they would decide what God's will was by selecting in that kind of way. And so the lot fell to Zechariah, and according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So they're all in the outer court, and Zechariah goes to the interior of the interior, the holy place, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn incense as a symbol of the prayers rising to God. Then verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. That's an understatement. And he was gripped with fear. Oh, that's a reality statement. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 16, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of the great prophet Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That is biblical language of saying he will set things straight and get a people dressed up and ready to welcome God. Zechariah asked the angel, "Um, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along In years, thanks, Zechariah, for not saying my wife is an old lady. 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. So now you won't speak. You will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens. Because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Remember, they're all outside. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. Can you imagine that? Verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. I have a regular rhythm of retreat that the elders of this church gave to me. In my job description, they said, You should spend an hour of solitude and silence a day. You should spend a day of solitude and silence per month. And you should spend a weekend of solitude and silence per year. 
This in part was a reaction because where I was on staff before, if I was to do that kind of thing, I would have to take a personal day off of work to go pray. And because I was younger and a butthead, I would say, excuse me, this is my work. So the elders of this church said, it is, is it? Let's put it in your job description and make sure you do your work and be with God. And so this is the rhythm that I'm supposed to walk in. And last year, Toby said, have you done a retreat in a while? And I said, busted. And so I booked a silent retreat, and I tried to open myself up to this new experience in this regular rhythm of trying to encounter and make space for God. And so there I was at this silent retreat. And it took me about a half day to settle in because this is usually my rhythm. It takes me a while to get my wiggles out and to get still. And when I finally leaned in and I was really starting to engage and to just give myself to something from the Lord. But then I cheated a little because I walked a far away from our little rooms and the chapel and the Jesuit priests. And I said, hey, Amy. How you doing? I confess, I cheated. And I gave her this report. And I said, you know, it's kind of crazy. You know, it's nothing earth shattering, but, you know, I feel like I've really reconnected with God. And I feel like this is really good. And I've had a nice time of prayer. And I have this sense of like a renewed vision. And, you know, to be honest, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. And I remember her saying something like this. So you're telling me that you spent two days in reflection and prayer and journaling and reading and not talking, and now you're saying, I'm pleasantly surprised that I feel kind of good and I've connected with God. What she's basically saying is, I should expect you to have some sense of nearness and connection. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes there's value in just showing up. Sometimes there's value in cultivating and working on these muscles of creating space and and praying. So not every time is a mountaintop experience, but Amy was kind of laughing and it was instructive because, yeah, if, if I have two days of trying to do nothing but focus on God, why am I surprised when I just might have a sense that I met him? I think Elizabeth had the same response to her husband. When he came home and he grabbed a dry erase board and he started writing, you'll never believe what happened when I went to meet with God. You'll never believe that me, a priest, doing my priestly duties in a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of worship, going into the inner place at the time of prayer to offer the incense to symbolize the prayers of God's people who have long waited for his salvation, You'll never believe it, Elizabeth. I had an encounter with an agent of God. Can you believe, Elizabeth? God showed up. He wrote all this on a dry erase board. And I believe Elizabeth said, in the holy place of the temple, yeah, I believe God showed up. Why wouldn't you expect God to show up. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judea, just outside of Jerusalem. Listen to this. 
Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests. Wait for it. And those 18,000 were one of 24 divisions. So there's 18,000, and they're broken down, one of 24 divisions. So he's one of 18,000. He resides in one of 24 divisions. And so each of his divisions would be on a rotation. Like our neighborhood groups were on a rotation for the clothes closet, he would have two times a year that his division would have a week-long stint where they would leave their homes and villages and go and serve in the temple that was operating year-round. There's only one temple then, many synagogues. Synagogues were like the little satellite places where when Zechariah and the other priests were done with their temple duties, the big picture sacrifice, the big picture liturgy, in the big place of the temple, they would go back to their synagogues, to their villages, to their satellites, and they would do the pastoral stuff of teaching and praying and leading and all that kind of stuff. But twice a year, they would go for a week, and they had little rooms and quarters, not unlike the Jesuit retreat place that I went to, where they would live for a week, and every morning there was two prayer times, and those priests would do the morning prayer and the afternoon prayer. That's what Zechariah is up to. So in some ways, this is business as usual for Zechariah. He's got to go to Jerusalem. It's that time again. But the question then becomes, do we actually expect to connect with God when we come week to week, business as usual, in our worship? And you say, well, it was kind of more like a job to Zechariah. Okay, do we expect God to show up and meet us at our work? Yeah, but I work in customer service. No, I'm a teacher, and these are little demons that I'm teaching. I just wonder if we are like me at a silent retreat or Zechariah offering incense, why are we surprised when God, even with just a whisper or a nudge, even with just some sense of hope that moves us and inspires us, why are we so quick to dismiss it or to be surprised when God is longing to be gracious to us each Saturday at 5 as well as each Tuesday at 3? What if we receive this not as a guilt trip but an invitation to expectation? What would it look like to come to this basement with our small local community, but to take off our shoes and say, it doesn't matter about these awesome lights and decorations and the amazing worship team. These are all beautiful things that are simply vehicles to encounter the living God in our place, in our time, in this expression. What if we expected to connect with God in ways that Zechariah, frankly, didn't? So that week, they chose lots, and this time Zechariah was selected to offer the holy incense. Listen, they would do this once in a lifetime, okay? One out of 18,000, a lot of priests, but this was a 
This is your shot, buddy. And so this was his moment. This was his time. But Zechariah is still surprised and struggles to hope when God shows up and says, hey, your wait is almost over. I know that you're old. I know that you don't have kids. I promise that here in nine months, you're going to have a child who's special. And this special child is going to roll out the red carpet for an even more special child. And he goes, yeah, but how will I know? And this is when we go, dude, you're talking to an angel. And this is when Zechariah goes, yeah, but I've lived my story of God hasn't moved before. Why would he move now? You see, Luke tells us that they were good people that came from a good family and did good things. Not just good things, they did all the right things. And this is so important because in verse 7, Luke says, but. Because everyone that hears this story says, mm, yep, there must be something that has prevented them from having a child God's blessing is not upon them. They must have some secret sin. They must have some shame. And so as they carry on being good people, from good people, doing good things, bad things still happen. And in the ancient framework, there was nothing more sad for a Jewish family to not have children. So just think, year after year, they wait. Prayer upon prayer is cried out. Tears upon tears, and every time she doesn't get pregnant, they have to think, but we're the people supposed to have the kids that outnumber the stars in the sky. We're Abraham's people. We're Abraham's people that are blessed to be a blessing to all nations. So we've got to contribute to the nation. So now add their personal pain with a dollop of theological doubt and hurt. How many of you have been at funerals like the one this afternoon? And people come and say well-intentioned things that, operate from a kind of karmic worldview that says, well, they must have done something to deserve it. Or when they visit you in the hospital and they say, is there some unconfessed sin? Or fill in the blank with any kind of garbage that tries to make sense of the mystery that things just don't always go the way we want them and think they ought to. Our world is too mysterious. God is too mysterious for karma. There are so many other things going on. But the false narrative still creeps in that says, well, I guess I'm not good enough, even though I've done all the good things. Well, I guess it's not possible 
because it hasn't happened, and look how old we are. Those are the narratives that creep in, but hope tells us a different story. Year after year, prayer after prayer, tear upon tear, Zechariah, no wonder he struggles, listen, to accept God's story because he's so used to believing his story. We say, Zechariah, dude, an angel. And Zechariah says, dude, I've wanted and heard this before. How can I be sure that this isn't just some indigestion giving me a vision? And this is the part where it gets real. And you say, Adam, my story says, I don't think I'm coming out of this. And you're telling me that hope tells a different story, and I'm stubbornly saying, I want to believe it, and I'm going to. Maybe not in this moment, maybe not in this situation, but hope looks beyond the present and looks to God's good end. Not just because I want it, but because I trust the one who said it. Our first big idea is how our status quo, our story, can lull us into thinking that our story is a dead end. But God doesn't lead us into dead ends. Do you believe this? I do. Detours? That's another story. (laughs) Does God lead us to detours? If you don't know, let me help you. Shake your head yes. Read the Bible And shake your head, yes. But the promise of God is that every detour is destined toward a good end, leading us toward a horizon of hope. The God of life loves to turn hopeless ends into endless hopes. If you're hearing this story from a childless Elizabeth perspective, When he comes back and writes that dry erase board, she goes, this sounds familiar. God did this with Abraham and Sarah. God did something impossible and covenanted with an old couple that thought their childbearing years were behind them, and look what God did. This sounds like Samuel. This sounds like Samson. This sounds like when Jacob and Rebecca had a hard time. This sounds like many times where impossible circumstances give way to special kids. God seems to do this more than once. Does he do it always? Shake your head no. But God has shown us enough of a track record that we just might trust his good end. I like to think of it as a train that's leaving the station. When we read passages in Romans 8, like that we are, um, that, that God is willing the good and all things work together for the good of those who love them, I wanna say yes. And I believe that a train has left the station and that station is the renewal and reconciliation of all things. That God one day will make his way to the depot that is Revelation 22. 
that there will be a new heavens and a new earth and that every tear will be wiped away and that we will be raised and reunited with Jesus face to face. But the track that winds its way to that end is so full of twists and turns. And so when you're in a part of the track that feels like the valley of the shadow of death, no, 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 it is the valley of the shadow of death. And even if it brings you to death, do you trust that the train will keep turning and bring you through death? This is what we stand up and pronounce at every funeral. That we hold the grief of the detour of the valley in this hand. And we say, God, look at this. Hear this. Help this. And then God weeps with us and says, yes, but hope reminds us of where the train will end up. Even though you're sick now, even though you hurt now, even though there's brokenness and pain now, and you say, well, that's hard. And I say, yes, it is. And Zechariah had nine months to hold those two things in tension. So the angel shows up and says, this will happen This child will come. That's the next destination. He'll prepare the way. This is the child who will start to unlock the doors of hearts so that unlike Zechariah, they'll actually be ready to open up and say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm expecting the advent of the king. So that when the king arrives, John says, look, The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one I've been telling you about. It's not me. I'm the one that comes before him. The people say, yep, because they're ready. I call this the Ford Bronco principle. I didn't invent it. I just renamed it. Because when Jason Knight got a Bronco, that white Bronco with the floppy top, the removable top, I thought it was very cool. I, since it's confession time, because I told you I talked on a silent retreat, maybe I coveted this Ford Bronco. And the reason it stings a little bit is because everywhere I looked the month after he got that thing, all I saw was what? Ford Broncos. And part of it was because he had one of the first. And they started to come through after the wait list. So part of it was just the reality of like, oh, they made more than just Jason's. But the other part is everywhere I drove, what was I looking for? A Ford Bronco. The Ford Bronco principle is that if you are looking for the fingerprints of God, you will find them. If you go to the temple or go to work or go to church not looking, you probably won't see anything. Look, it will take an angel rocking your world to get your attention. So the discipline of Advent, the practice of John the Baptist, is if you are thinking of and longing for and looking for, you will see. So Zechariah still has some preparation work to do. 
And what happens for Zechariah in nine months of silence just reflected the centuries of prophetic silence. They weren't looking anymore. We turn one page from Malachi to Matthew and we say, oh, the Old Testament to New Testament. No big deal. Bang, boom, back to back. No, no, no. We're talking about decades. You think they're looking? No, they need a John. They need an Advent figure to say, okay, now's the time to wait and look. Now's the time to expect. This is why Advent is good for the soul. So a practice is to do what Zechariah had to do. We get to calm down in the bustle and busyness of the season to be still. Our second big idea is this. Sometimes we just have to be quiet so we can watch and wait for God to work. I want to see Ford Broncos all throughout this season in our midst and in our neighborhood. Because when we're quiet, we can listen. And when we listen, we can focus. And when we focus, we can truly see. Amy says all the time, you heard me, but you weren't what? Listening. Stop telling me to listen. You were just as bad as her. Love you, Amy. This is an Advent practice. But listen, silence by itself doesn't necessarily help. It is a tool that in the hands of expectation and hope gets us leaning in. Silence can make you worry, tears, doubt. God, are you there? God, are you still at work? No, no, no. But silence wrapped in hope, that roots us in an expectation of a good end. That's why we need to focus on hope. Because to be still and look and listen will help you know when he shows up in your midst. I want to close with a story, and I'll have one final big idea for you. Well, I was thinking of waiting that we have to do this week. I started thinking of uh, an experience I had with my dog, Pepper, earlier this spring. Yeah, I know those kind of yard work days that are the epic, this is going to take all day kind of thing. This is not the, oh, I've got to mow, I've got to trim this, or I've got to do this. This is like, okay, it's happening. We are overwhelmed all hands on deck. We are uprooting stuff and tearing stuff down and hauling it out and filling up dumpsters. It was one of those kind of yard work days this spring. So we are outside all day digging up and clearing out and our little one-eyed, sweet, 12-pound, Maltese mix, precious angel was digging and rooting around too. She was living her best life. She was like, I can't believe we're all here. I can't believe we're outside. I can't believe that I can play in this dirt and run in this grass. And it was all fun and games until we went inside for lunch. And we closed that sliding glass door, and we said, no, no, you stay out here. Why? Because she is a nightmare. She's a disaster. She's not an angel at this point. She's this dirty little dirt devil. And so... We head in, and she's wandering around, 
And she starts looking in. She sees that we're making lunch. And then she sees that we're sitting down. So she comes close to the door and then it begins. First the wine. And y'all have seen it if you've been over there. The swipe. She needs water. Swipe. She wants in. Swipe. And then the barks. Then as we're sitting at the table, six feet removed from her behind this glass door, she has the, I'm looking you in the eye and I'm barking and you know that you hear me. What are you doing? I can't believe this. We have never heard her bark like this. Excuse me. She was looking us in the eyes. We were looking her in the eye. And she stared right at us with all the sight her one eye could muster. And she was giving us the business like we've never heard and we haven't heard since. She was barking, 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 barking. Okay, here's the deal. We knew something that she didn't. Pepper, if you come in, you're going to wreck our house. Then I'm going to wreck you. But I'm going to give you a bath when you do come in, when it's time, so you'll feel so much better. Look, she can't know what we know at that moment. That we need to do this. We are eating. We are doing our thing. We see you. We've not forgotten you. And I know that you're hating this out there right now. But trust us, in just a minute, you'll be in. And you'll be snuggled up with us. But listen, even if Pepper could know that, hey, just wait a little longer. Even if she could know, listen, she can't come inside yet. Even if she could know, it wouldn't change her situation. She still has to be there. I'm sorry. I know. I see you. You're looking at I get it. Yes. And so our final big idea is this, that hope, which is the expectation of God's good end, may not change our situation, but it does change our perception in the present. And that's when you say, well, that's not good enough. And I said, trust me, it's better than suffering outside alone. Because ask your kids tomorrow, get in the car do you want to go to the dentist or Disney World? And tell me that the destination doesn't matter. It may not change their situation, and it may take longer to get to Disney World, but knowing that God is with us in and through death changes our story this afternoon and tomorrow. This is why we need hope. This is why we need to give ourselves to stillness and let ourselves wait. Because waiting trains us. Even while we wait, it reminds us that God still sees us, that God knows what we're going through. And though we have to wait now, we can trust that God knows what he's doing, even if we don't fully understand it. This is the invitation. Show up this week looking, leaning in. And we can trust that God can ground us and root us. And that's what turns optimism into assurance. Because we can trust that he is working 
even while we're waiting. That's what hope does. Amen and amen.